Sometimes in our lives we all have pain, we all have sorrow, but if we are wise, we know that there's always tomorrow. Lean on me when you're not strong, and I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on for it won't be long till I'm gonna need somebody to lean on. <laughs> I'm impressed. Thank you. I'm impressed, man. Well done. Thank you. Thank you very much, Dan, for opening up the show like that. That was great, man. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm glad that we pressed it and we recorded it, and now we can actually sell it. You going to sign it all off? Absolutely. <laughs> sure. Why not? <laughs> Welcome to the show, Dan. Thank you so much for opening it up that way. Well, thank you for having me. You know, I was, it, was, uh, it was tricky. I, was, I wanted something with lean in there, yeah. and so I was like, yeah, lean on me. Why oh, it not? It totally works. It yeah. totally works. Well, but thank you for coming on. We're going to have a very... Interesting show, as I always say. Uh, we're going to talk about law. We're going to talk about construction law. We're going to talk about liens. We're going to talk about all kinds of stuff. This is something that I get messages about this all the time. I've been through processes. I've been through all, all kinds of crap. I think if you're in construction, at some point, you're going to have a conversation with a person like yourself. Absolutely. You're going to have to lean on me. It's just <laughs> it's just part of the process. Let me give out the deets here. Just let everybody know who we're talking to. Dan Fridmar, uh, Fridmar Professional Corporation. And its uh, website is fridmar.com. Phone number is 416-697-0107, right? Yes. And then uh, email to get a hold of you is dan at fridmar.com, which is spelled F-R-I-D-M-A-R. And you can find him on Facebook and on LinkedIn under his name, Dan uh, Fridmar. So a uh, few shout outs to begin with. I'm wearing Brother Bears. Yep. T-shirt. Great guys. Their show's going to drop soon. Everyone's going to see it. We, we had a blast talking to them about paint and all kinds of stuff. It's just... Uh, I, I like every aspect of the construction. I'll talk to anybody that's in construction and what they do and how they do it. And I, I respect the passion that's associated with everybody that does their work, right? So I want to do a little quick shout out to, um, sorry, I got to pull this up, Zach. Uh, Zach from TBG Building Group. He sent me an email and he was just asking me a bunch of questions. And then I responded back about 12 or 14 hours later. And I apologize. I started the reply by saying, I'm sorry it took me so long to get back to you. And he's like, man, it's like 12, 14 hours, man. What's the deal? <laughs> and I'm like, I try to get back as fast as possible. And then he was starting to do tests last night. He was like, let's test this to see how long this is going to take you to reply. <laughs> you, you know what? Honestly, I, like at least in my profession too, I found that that's been one of the big, uh, big things that's evolved during COVID. Like think pre-COVID, right? Like you send an email. Yeah, I'll get back to you in two days or three now i haven't heard from you in an hour are you okay yeah, are you going, alive what's, what's going, going on? on what's going on i know so he was just reaching out at, he was just complimenting just wanted to send you an e email thanks for all the insight and the truth unleash on the podcast i've been listening for a while I honestly can't say i've found an episode that i don't enjoy there's a few that i'm not crazy about but it's <laughs> all right so much much knowledge and insight from the guys that are on in the industry which i totally respect that's why i have them on the show it's great to hear from people uh just uh, as passionate about uh, what they do as he is and i've contacted a few of them through the show and see what can be done and i love that they basically start connecting what's what i really appreciate about the whole industry right so uh so thanks zach for sending that message and we'll be chatting and, and probably one day he'll get on the show and we'll talk so but over to you dan um i got a lot of questions to ask amazing that i've gone through and stuff that i've learned and you only learn it by going through it yeah where do you want to begin i guess 
You know what? Let's start with contracts. Sure. I want to, because everybody's always um, intimidated about, I guess a lot of contra- like construction personnel, tradespeople, mm. they feel the thicker the contract, the, bed, the better that is. Mm. That's not always the case, right? Not at all. And you know what? I think that's a good place to start, especially because when you, when you think of the ed- industry, I think, forget even talking about contracts, right? Like, let's talk about the culture. Right. Let's talk about people in the culture. Right. Depending on their age groups and depending on when they've entered into it. Right. There are people who I work with everyone on on the spectrum here. Right. So people who are a little newer in the uh, in the industry, I find that they're they're more cautious. Right. They've heard of the tales. They heard of, you know, you got to make sure everything's papered. You got to make sure that if something's said, it's put in writing. And then you have people who are, you know, from the as I call it, the the golden days of construction. Right. Where it's like, no, no, no. We shook hands on this. I told you how much this is going to cost. I told you what I'm going to build. I built it. You're going to pay me this amount. Right. And. To some extent, that's easier, and I, I've like, uh, I'm also fortunate in that I service everyone in Ontario. So I have clients up in Huntsville, I have clients in, uh, uh, in uh, Chatham, I have clients in Godrich, so th- you name it. I've, I've probably done something around there. And I find that people, especially like up north, they're, they're a lot more relaxed, right? Like I have one client, uh, he's, uh, he's been doing this for 45 years. He does flooring, and he knows everyone in the area that he's yeah. he's in, right? And it's it's come to a point where he's come to me after 45 years not having a single dispute, and I ask him, okay, well, where are your contract documents? And he looks at me, what, what contract, right? They know me. They know my name. They know my reputation. Shook what do they a need? hand. Shook a hand, okay. exactly. So to your point about contracts, then, it like it's one of those things where people need them, and they only realize they need them after something happens. Right, because unfortunately, the day and age that we're in today, a handshake agreement is not enough. A verbal contract is not enough. I mean, it could it could be enforceable. Don't get me wrong. Just as long as you have three things, right? You have an offer. I'm going to do work for you. Yes. You have acceptance. Okay, please do the work for me. And then you have something called consideration, which I I will pay you or I'll scratch it, whatever you have it. Yeah. As long as those three elements are present, anything could be a contract. Now, the next step in that case is proving that well. What, what happened, right? Who made that deal? It's credibility. Things get messy. Yep. It can be enforceable, but it's it's not as pretty as a nice piece of paper that clearly lays these things out, has signatures. But unfortunately, in, in today's day and age, even that's not enough, right? Like I have cases where it's black and white on you know, paper or on screen, whatever you have it written that, yeah, this is this is our terms, this is our agreement. And even still, we go to court arguing about, well, but what did this word mean? Or this comma was in the wrong place. Or, oh, but that's, you know, that's not a zero, that's actually an eight or you know, whatever you have it, right? So so practically speaking, I think um, the the best thing that you can do contracts-wise, firstly, is just, you don't, not, you don't need 40 pages, 50 pages. You just need it to be clear, right? Yeah. What What is a contract at the end of the day? It's an allocation of risk and responsibility. Yeah. Who is responsible if something comes up? And not not to go on a tangent, but let's say in a, right now, post-COVID, one of the most relevant uh, parts of contract that I found is uh, this, this concept of uh, material price escalation, right? Who's responsible for that? 
you have bigger projects. If it was in the contract at all. Well, or, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and most of the time it's not. And, and even more, you see this uh, in, in the, like the subcontracts, right? Between GCs and subs or subs and material suppliers. The cost of steel, right? We all know it's, it's doubled yes. since, since COVID or tripled even in some cases. And uh, depending on the size of the project, right? Like you have some P3 contracts where they were procured back in 2019 and they're just calling on like some of the subs now. Yeah, like when I quoted you, I quoted you on 2019 pricing. I Not only can I, am I not gonna make a profit if I give it to you now, I'm gonna have to pay you to do your project. And yeah. that's not fair, What's the right? So who, who's responsible for that at that point? So with contracts, you basically just wanna try to be as clear and simple, right to the point. But I mean, I've heard stories of guys reaching out to me, talked about they presented what they were going to do. They deliver what they're going to do. But then you get that point of the client saying, it's not exactly what I thought it was going to be, but mm. yet it's been built exactly that. So mm. then there's some sort of friction at that point. Yeah. And, and, and you know what? I find this more often uh, in residential construction For contracts. Sure. Like I, I, have a, I have a colleague of mine, he, he quoted like a really good uh, saying about residential construction. It's like, it's like family law of construction, right? Where it's not it's so much, look at it's it. not so much as uh, what was done is like, there's person like there's personal involvement right when you build a a train station it's to it's to scope it's uh, in accordance with the code uh, all the drawings are fine the engineer signed off on it great if there's a small little scratch on the sidewalk nobody's going to care flip that to a residential, residential. Constr- thirty thousand dollar bathroom reno oh the tile is beige I want it off white. It looks different. It in looks sunlight. different. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> one of my funniest disputes actually in residential too is um, it was a bathroom project, and the, part of it was in the installation of the shower head. And in the in the material selection stage, the shower head was just a regular you know picture. It was midair. It wasn't connected to anything. But they used that picture to say, well, based on the photo, it looks like it should be much higher than you actually installed it. Wow. <laughs> I've heard stories about how like. Is this becoming human nature where you'll have disputes or disagreements over such small amounts, over such small things? Yeah, and and you know what? Part of my job too, especially when it comes to residential, like I'd say like I have a fair, you know, like maybe 60, 40 residential commercial type con- like projects. Mm-hmm. When it comes to residential, the first piece of advice I give to my clients is look, like you're, you're legally right, 100%. You're in the right here. The, the contract is clear. The code is clear. The industry standards are clear. Whether it's tarry on performance or whatever you have it, you're in the right. But this dispute is, is worth about $20,000. You're going to spend about 30 on me to get to trial. Is this worth it? And then like, that's where the other question is. It's like, it's a, I, I've, in my early days of construction, I always noticed there was more tradespeople that were quick to jump the legal gun mm. than clients. Mm. Towards my more experienced years of construction, it was clients that were quick to jump the legal route. Like, I'm going to sue you. I'm going to sue you. I'm going to sue you. A lot of people, trace people in the beginning was, I'm going to lean you. I'm going to lean you and yeah. all this other stuff. And it's just like, is there a way that we, on both sides, right? Because there's, I always said there's three. There's always three, right? Mm. Like whether the, the trades person is right or the client's right, it's the truth in the middle, right? And yeah. the thing is, like, do you really want to invest all this time and effort and money because it does start to get into five figures, six figures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then also when it comes to, from what I gather on my side, when I'm learning from other tradespeople, it's also the mental side. 
Like there's so much stress and consumption of your own personal life that you're just consumed about it. But then you hear all these horror stories about client or tradespeople going through the industry. And then over the years of so many experiences, they've gone through so many jobs that they didn't get paid. They didn't get paid and they just walked away because they knew every, I think everybody that goes through it once uh, understands the real toll that's attached to it. Exactly. And it's, it's, as you've said, it's, it's not just the money, it's, yeah. it's the time. And, and most importantly, it's the stress. Yes. Because especially like if, if this is the first time you're doing it and hopefully like listeners won't have to go through this themselves, but you, you invest your personhood into a process that a, you can't control, right? It's completely out of your hands. Yes. You're trusting it to some individual who is charging you an arm and a leg. Hopefully not. Uh, and ultimately, w the individual can't give you a guaranteed answer, right? This is the one profession really where you come to me and you, you tell me your problem and I can't say with absolute confidence that, yeah, you're going to win because I don't know. It depends on the judge. It depends on the circumstances. depends on the time of day that your dispute is brought. depends on whether or not opposing counsel is going to be cooperative. It, it depends. There's so many variables. There are so many variables. And, and so one of the best things that you can get on these sort of disputes is lawyers involved and especially lawyers that are trained not to fight but to find answers right because the way you look at it is no one's going to be happy at the end of the day no no you're 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 negotiating as you said not just money but you're negotiating the time that this is going to take the the thought process you're going to have in it uh, for for some people, especially when they start do like going through the bigger disputes and going through things like examinations and and putting together materials and, and attending court, that's time you're investing in this process yep. that you're not investing on getting more work or doing more projects or earning more money, right? So at a certain point, you, you do have to ask, is it worth it? And you you have to come to terms with the fact that it's not. And you get a lot of tradespeople that buy out. They just, they're tapped out. And I, I usually, what I hear and what I see, as soon as they start tickling $100,000 in legal fees and then years of going through this process, they just say, well, how much longer is this going to take? Yeah. And, and that, again, speaking to someone like yourself, that's still up in the air. We don't know how much longer it's going to take. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know what? One of the things other that I see is um, you, you have, a, to your point about there always being three, very often in these disputes on both sides, you don't have enough empathy. What I mean by that is take a look at, the, let's say, the, the builder, right? It could be whoever, subs, the people doing the work, right? Mm -hmm. They're looking at it purely transactionally, right? They're thinking, yeah. okay, I already told you how much this was going to cost. I did the work for you. I think this work is acceptable based on my experience and standards. Why aren't you paying me, right? And the flip side of it is the homeowners are, are looking and they're saying, okay, I'm on average, you know, Canadian national average income is 60,000 per family, right? People don't realize that. I now have, I have a dilapidated home. Let's say it's, it's 70, 80 years old. If you're in Toronto, maybe a little newer, if you're like in York region or outside of the GTA, right? I have this home. I need a new X, Y, Z, whatever. My budget is capped. I work hard day and night to work, to earn this money. So now you're telling me that I blew the equivalent of a year of my salary, right, on this project, and it's not golden and shining and exactly how I want it, right? So, so people, they, they don't realize that. And, and realizing it and, and trying to address that helps with a lot of these disputes, right? The other thing on the flip side of that I've, I'd say at least 60, 70% of my uh, initial kind of consultations are is this concept of delay, right? Homeowner saying, 
they promise that this project is going to take five months. It's been a year. What's going on, right? This is a simple project. Not realizing that, well, it's not actually just your project, right? It's material availability, right? It's it's trade avail good trade availability, right? That must but have been worse during the pandemic when horrible. When we were trying to get material coming in. But yeah. But all and I guess technically speaking, if you had a contract and you had a scheduled timeline and deliverables, if you didn't cover yourself, I guess, regarding unforeseen variables regarding this I guess technically a client can turn around and say, well, you never completed everything and now you start getting into friction. Exactly, exactly. And, and you know what? This, this has been a bigger concern even on the, on the commercial side of things for yeah. construction. Because in residential, yeah, like you have a, you have a con contract uh, that says you have to get this project completed within 10 weeks of commencement, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and you're going to be late and there's going to be shaking of fingers and fists. But ultimately in the commercial world, it's not uncommon to have delay claims, right? To say, well, you've been delaying this. And so now, you know, I'm going to be charging you $100 a day or whatever you have it a day, because that's how much it's now costing me to pay my construction financing, to pay whatever other trades, because they can't start on time. And and so it, it ends up snowballing into this big fight and friction where on one hand, they want to get the work done, but it's you can't, right? Like, how are you going to do it if it's just not there? I love, Dan, that you brought up um, just how there's so many variables and then you, you get two sides pitting against each other, right? And from my experience being in the industry and speaking to so many people in the industry, tradespeople in general, I'm speaking more on the residential side, mm. they want to problem solve. Mm -hmm. They don't want to walk away and not do the project. They actually want to complete it. Every tradesperson I know, including myself, we want to get to the finish line because we started it yeah. and we're excited about it. We're passionate about it. And same with the crews that we work with. So we want to get to the completion. And the problem is that when you start getting into this friction where clients start saying, well, you're overcharging me or things got too delayed or things are getting too expensive. But the thing is that, you know, there's a bunch of things that happen that kind of escalate to that point where clients start changing their mind. Now we start involving change orders. We start involving, they're choosing more expensive material. I've seen personally clients change appliances the day before it's supposed to get installed when things have been rough designed, fit, suited for specific appliances. So all of a sudden now you got to factor that in and work with it. And I'm just thinking, why can't we just mediate? Like I've had situations where in a contract, once things start going negatively, mm. mediation is the first hurdle yeah but then clients will ignore that and start making the threats of back and forth saying yeah. well we're going to get legal right out but technically speaking on the contract you're supposed to start with mediation try to problem solve yeah and you, and you know what that's that's a very good point and i think like in, in general with with mediation right um in order to prop like properly mediate you need two things one you need to have a common goal, right? You need to both agree in the process or believe in the process or have you, and it doesn't have to be formal or anything. You just, you want, you want to problem solve it, right? You have to want to problem solve it. And the second part is you have to be realistic. Yes. Right? Because if, if you are, you want to solve the problem, great. But if you're, if you don't come at it, as I said, with that rational empathy on both sides, it's just going to be a waste of time for everyone. And, and that's, that's unfortunately how it happens, right? You have parties that, uh, they have a dispute. Uh, typically I find it's more so the, the tradespeople that have to kind of bend, bend. Yeah. And, and, and to, to some extent be more mature about it, right? Because homeowners, 
unless you're really lucky and you get someone who is a reasonable individual, they're the ones usually kicking and screaming, saying, no, you're you're screwing me, or I paid you this money and you made all these promises and I, I found you online and God forbid Mike Hopes endorses you. Like that's going to be like a whole other thing. Yeah. Uh, and, and you promised me all these things and now you haven't given it to me. It's all or nothing, right? They, It's hard to get them to sit down and, and rationally explain, look, like let's, let's talk this out. Let's not go the legal route. And the other thing to your point, um, you're absolutely right. Tradespeople want to finish not only because they want to get paid, but it's their reputation, right? And those like, yeah, you have the Mickey Mouse contractor every now and then where they come in and they, they, they do the job just because they heard that construction is the new big thing and they make an ad on Kijiji and then they realize, oh shit, construction's actually really hard. Uh, and then they kind of bail halfway through. But for the most part, the, you know, the brother bears of this world, uh, they, they care about their work, yeah. right? Like they, they stand by a brand. They spend a lot of time and effort building that brand. They want to see it through. And that's where we find the other biggest issue, at least in, in residential construction, is that homeowners take the perspective of, you've burned me. I've, I trusted you. You told me you were going to do this, and now you didn't. I don't want to see you ever again. And fortunately, on my end, the law is very clear that you can't do that. You have to give them a reasonable opportunity, right? And what is reasonable opportunity? Depends. (laughs) Well, that's where the mediation, where a contractor would wants to discuss things, wants to solve things. And that kind of brings up to my next point where it's like in construction, I was fascinated by this. There's administrative lawsuits. Mm. So you purposely get clients on one side who just want to continuously fight you administratively so paper wise and Mm. just keep on pushing you down because they have more money more equity and they know that a contractor doesn't so you know paper wise you keep pushing the tradesperson to the point where and i've seen this they'll go bankrupt yeah they'll just fold up and then all of a sudden you've basically destroyed their livelihood and what i'm really upset about is that yeah you not only have destroyed their livelihood you've destroyed their passion They're not interested in working for another client as a result of this. And I've seen tradespeople leave the industry because of that one incident. Yeah. Yeah. It takes a different kind of tradesperson to stay in there and keep on going and then have another incident. You know what? You're, you're absolutely right. And, and in fact, um, the Ontario government was mindful of that, and that's why back in 2017 they made this change by introducing this prompt payment regime and also introducing interim adjudication. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know to what extent you know about these or if you've no, heard no. of them before. Okay, so a little, little bit of a background. So in uh, in 20, I think 16 initially, there was a mandate put out by the Ontario government saying, you know what, enough is enough. There are backlogs on all of these projects. There's these disputes about minor issues. The courts are swamped. It takes you know, two, three years to get things sorted out. And by that point, the project's halted and it's not benefiting anyone, right? Because at the end of the day, people don't realize this, but our industry is arguably the most important in Canada, period, right? If people aren't doing construction, there is literally no growth in progress. Nothing. 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 And, and especially- On all levels of construction. On all levels. And, it, and people don't realize the stakeholders involved too, right? Like take a look at the Eglinton LRT project, right? How many people were affected by that? Yes. Take a look at, you know, what's happening with uh, 401 and 427 right now, right? So, and and yeah, like there's, there's the big dispute is between, you know, builder and, and let's say infrastructure Ontario, but realistically speaking, everyone is affected, 
right? Yes. And so 2016, the Ontario government said, you know what, that's it. Enough is enough. We need something faster. We need, we need to have proper flow of payment. And also we need to make sure that if there are disputes, they can be dealt with within 40 days. No more two years, no more three years. We got to get these projects back on the rails. But it goes back to your point about clients saying that you burn me. Yeah. Now I'm, I'm the villain. I'm going to come after you now. But in my eyes, you're the villain. Exactly. So I'm going to come after you, period, right? So, so exactly. And, and so what the whole point of this was is that now... In theory, and I say in theory because this this has just started. They like they introduced, oh, okay. yeah, they introduced these laws. Uh, they're the way they work is that they only really affect projects that are uh, entered into or procured after twenty nineteen October first, twenty nineteen. So what what I mean by that is let's say uh, let's work something smaller, right? Uh, let's say you're, you're building a ramp on a community center, okay. hypothetically speaking. So you're, this project, if it's if it's tendered after October 1st, 2019, the new rules apply. Okay. That means a, you like, if let's say there's a flow issue of payments, uh, there is a mandate of getting paid within a certain amount of time. And B, if there is any disputes about the, the scope of work, uh, the, the meaning of specific drawings, whether or not payment was owed, all sorts of things, you now can use interim adjudication, which is uh, a very fast-tracked process. Like from start to finish, it takes about 42, 45 days. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah, no, and, and it's it's very fast paced. How does it work out? So what do you? So here's how it works. Uh, it starts by something called a notice of adjudication. So there's uh, the government appointed a uh, a what are they called? Uh, uh, I think it's called the appointing entity, whatever, whatever they. So actual... who's applying for this? The tradesperson? Anyone? Or the... Anyone? Any, on any, either side? Anyone? It could be anyone involved in the project. Uh, that has a dispute. There's there's a list of qualifications. Uh, let's say one of the issues is non-payment, right? Okay. So let's say you're a subcontractor and the contract general contractor is not paying you. So you send in a notice of adjudication. You go to the appointing entity, which is called ODAC or ODACC. I, I can't remember what it's. I think Ontario Dispute Adjudication Center Construction. So whatever the two C okay. stand for. Yeah. Uh, so you go to this ODAC. You uh, you get them. Uh, to file the adjudication, you then have to personally serve it onto the other side saying, hey, we're adjudicating. I, I have this issue. Here's my issue. You as the general contractor now have no choice but to respond within, I think it's seven days. So you respond. You, there's a roster of adjudicators that they have, uh, which is a mix of, uh, of engineers, construction experts, lawyers. You have it. Former law, former judges are and on And your this response roster. is what? Your defense or your Yeah, your, your position. Yeah, exactly. Okay. It's a very brief explanation at that point. And, and usually you at that stage, you either agree or disagree to an adjudicator. If, let's say, I want person X to be my adjudicator when I'm doing this notice of adjudication, and you say, no, 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 person X is, has nothing to do. They have no experience. I want person Y. At that point, ODAC will step in and they'll just randomly pick someone. Okay. And, and I, I don't know what their criteria is when they pick. Like, I've done about six of these so far. Because, uh, as I said, it's relatively new. Uh, and, and They review both sides. They review both sides, and then they pick someone. And in, all t- like in each of the six cases, it hasn't really made sense why they picked the person that they picked, but it is what it is. Okay. Uh, so anyway, so you have, I respond, we pick an adjudicator. The adjudicator then steps in, and they have the power to choose their own process. So in theory, the whole purpose of that is they now see the dispute. And as you said, they look at what needs to be mediated, and they can decide how to do it. Right, like what what would make more sense? Uh, whether they want to keep the traditional route of you know you give me your position, then that person has a chance to respond, and you have a final right of reply, and then I'll make a decision. And it it's um, they have set 
processes for smaller disputes and they can make custom processes for bigger disputes. Listen up, guys. If you love top line products and are interested in a dealer opportunity, you're going to want to hear this. I recently installed a box gobbler wall insert from MB Sentinel on the garage wall adjacent to my front porch to make a secure locker for my package deliveries. Let me tell you, the user experience is pure freedom. I can now make returns right from my home and I don't even have to be there. Even knowing what it was supposed to do from the get-go, it still made me smile when I experienced my first delivery. If you want to see the scope of work the install requires, you can find the video on my socials. So check them out, mbsentinel.com, or call them directly for dealer details at 1-800-910-4251. And again, that's 1-800-910-4251. And how long is that process of the reviewing to, for them to submit their recommendations? Oh, like a few days. Oh, really? Yeah, this is fast. The, this wow. is mandated. Is to this be going fast. to basically start to remove liens? And uh, that's a million dollar question. So the, the system itself is based off of what they have in the UK, and I think the US also does this. Okay. So in the UK, which is where, like, during the the consultation stage of of introducing uh, interim adjudication, uh, in the UK, uh, they. they they were look, the Ontario government was looking what they did, and what they ultimately had is, is they did say there was a reduction of liens, but practically speaking, too, it wasn't even a reduction of liens; it was actually a reduction of of uh, litigation in general. In general, because the UK doesn't have liens, so we're the first real regime okay. that has both a lien regime present and this new interim adjudication. And I can tell you from personal experience, I don't think it's prevented liens. Because it's it's almost like our culture, right? I have a problem. I'm owed a decent amount of money. I'm just slapping a lien on there, right? And then, yeah, we can adjudicate. And if we resolve it, great. And if not, then, well, I still have my lien process. The other issue, too, is it's called interim adjudication, which means it's not final and binding. An so adju- if one side doesn't agree yeah, with it, yeah, then screw you're that. still going I'm down. Just still adjudic- I'm just still leaning. I'm leaning. I'm I going can still to- lean yeah, and yeah. I can still start a legal process. Yeah. I can still do exactly. all Exactly. And, and the thing, though, is you still have to comply with the interim order unless you get a, a like you go to the court and you say, please pause while we while we litigate this. Um, practically speaking, too, it's because, as you can imagine, within 45 days, there's not really a lot of evidence you can get out. Yes. So one of the criticisms of this interim adjudication is that there's no real avenue of putting in like evidence, credibility. It's, it's just verbal argument. It's verbal argument with, and, and in, depending if you're in one of these preset processes, uh, the adjudicator will only let you put in the invoices in the contract. So no emails, no pictures, like it's, it's really in their discretion. So obviously if you, if you have nothing before them, there's a chance that they're probably going to get it wrong. And Do you like this, Dan? Do you like I hate it. You I, hate so it. I, so I actually, um, kind of shameless plug on my website. I have a blog that I put out like once every month or so. And one of my recent blogs was, uh, it was called um, the interim adjudication, uh, the new wild west of law, because that's exactly what it is. Because you can see what it can become. Oh, a hundred percent. Not only that, and, and the issue too is that uh, it's it's a preset fee. So it's like a flat fee that the adjudicator charges. Okay. And so when, when this process first started, you had all of these great legal minds that understand the minutia of, of the legal element of it, right, which ultimately you're arguing, right, that wanted to be a part of it. But then when ODAC came in and said, no, no, we're doing flat fees, a lot of them got turned away because, well, yeah, there's a certain novelty in being an adjudicator. But at the end of the day, if it's costing me money, why would I do this, right? Yeah. So a big part of the current adjudicators are individuals who aren't legally trained. And in my experience, though, the adjudications I've had, a lot of it really hinged on that legal argument, 
And so it, unless you have, you know, a mind that is capable of, of understanding and comprehending, and not to say that people can't, right? Like what we do isn't overly complicated, but ultimately like you have to understand that there is case law and appreciate that case law. And if you don't apply it, then it creates problems. Yeah. So that's one of the, my personal biggest criticisms is I've had cases where if this went to court, if this went before a judge, it'd be open and shut. But then it went before an adjudicator and he missed everything. He mi and, and the worst thing too is, at least the ones I've been involved with, they haven't been big disputes. So I've had, and similar to any legal proceeding, once it's commenced, you have to participate, right? So the one I, I'm referring to was, uh, it was a subcontractor adjudicating with one of my contractor clients. He, right. he had a ton of deficiencies. He was one of their, you know, trades on multiple projects. He screwed up on one project. They didn't pay him, so he abandoned all the other projects that caused delays, increase, you name it. The, he wasn't paid $6,000. As a result of him not being paid $6,000, my client ultimately had to shoulder the better part of thirty. Wow. Because we had to bring in more people and we had to pay the customers, delay, call, whatever you name it. And so this contractor who was, or trade who was owed $6,000 commenced an adjudication against my client. So I obviously bring off this concept of set off, right? I say, listen, what's going on? He left, he was owed $6,000. We're saying he wasn't because he didn't finish it. Here are all these contractual provisions on the payment schedule, whatever else. Uh, and also by him doing this, he's actually screwed my client in yeah. incurring you know, five times the amount that he's owed. He's not owed anything. What does the adjudicator do? Yeah, no, but, you know, he should have probably gotten paid. So, yeah, he's owed $6,000. Based on whatever information has been presented uh, there. Which also was nothing. Because the, the other flip side of this process is unless you do have a lawyer, it is, and like the person self-represented, they kind of put in whatever they want. So what I received is, you know, three pages of mumbo jumbo. Everything's disorganized. There's no real coherent arguments being made. And then I have to respond to that somehow with, okay, now let's, let's try to dissect this. Let's try to break it down. And on the basis of that, the adjudicator kind of made his own decision. So that's the so real I criticism could see, I could see this actually not being very beneficial to either side. And it's not really solving. I guess they're trying to streamline the court process. Yeah. But it's not really doing, it's not going to do that. I mean, we'll, we'll see. It's too young to it's really still, tell. Yeah, like, I have my criticisms. My colleagues have their criticisms. As I said, what, one of the biggest criticisms is that there is still the lean proceeding at the same time. And in fact, it's enshrined in the Construction Act where you can adjudicate and also lean at the same time. So practically speaking, if you're not happy with the decision, you just lean, right? You lean and you move forward from there. And not, yeah. No, no, sorry, go ahead. Uh, I, I was going to say not all of these decisions are payment-based. Some of these are scope of work-based, right? So let's say on a bigger commercial project, yeah. I had an adjudication where there was a question about whether or not um, my client was responsible for paving about 1,500 square feet of a parking lot versus 6,000 square feet. My Our position was that, you know, here are the drawings, uh, the drawings are clear. There's a highlighted section. Here's our quote. The quote is clear. It's only, you know, this much money for this much square footage. This is how much we build you. Therefore, obviously, like, it couldn't have been the full 6,000. Yeah. So we adjudicated on this. And, uh, and ultimately, the adjudicator agreed with my client, who was the, who was the landscape hardscaper, uh, that no, that, that makes no sense. And irrespective of that, we still had to go through regular litigation because that wasn't good enough for the owner. Wow. I want to, uh, let's just lean. So I get a lot of people yeah. reaching out to me. Have you done it, Manny? What's the process? How does it work? And, and you know, like basically if you want to walk us through, I've got, I, I know what I've done from experience. So, I mean, when you are not at that, or you're at that point where you have to lean, you'll want to lean. That's, that's like, I think in everybody's, 
dialogue. Everyone knows that, that that's an option for them. Yeah. So the process itself is what? It's a pretty straightforward process. I mean, uh, in fact, there, there are those companies uh, that only lean and they, they charge less than a lawyer would. I, I personally wouldn't recommend them because they like they make mistakes. And I've, I've had liens come to me where the, these individuals register the lien. And then it's like, oh, God, like there's all these issues and we're going to have to try to fix it if we can. Because you register the lien and then you can contest the lien. Go through that. Yeah. So, so there's two processes. There's, uh, there's, it all bases on this concept of attachment, which, which splits between is it crown agency land or non crown agency land. So let's take, uh, let's take your average road project, right? Most, if not all, major roads are owned by the Ministry of Transportation, Ministry of whatever you have it, the Queen or the King in this case now. Yeah. So those are deemed to be crown agency projects. You can sorry to kind of be all over the place. Let's step back a bit. What is a lien, right? Yes. What is a lien? A lien is a charge, so like a registered instrument that secures payment. Uh, aside from it being that, when thinking about a lien, you have to think about what is the ultimate uh, remedy of a lien, which is a sale of the land. Yes. So if, and, and, and this happens very rarely because nine times out of 10, by the time, if you get a lien judgment, they're just going to pay. They're not going to want you to sell the land. But it's, it's comparable to a mortgage, right? So if you have a mortgage, you register on the property, that mortgage goes into default, you can sell the land in satisfaction of the money that you're owed. So that's exactly how the lien process is set up, uh, which then goes to what I was talking about, crown agencies and attachment. As a policy principle, if you're not paid on a road project, you can't sell the road, right? It, it yeah. belongs to the government. Yeah. So that's why you have this, uh, this uh, bifurcation or this, this splitting between liens that are... Uh, registered and, and ultimately can be used to sell the land versus liens uh, that are just, they're, they're called notice liens. Because ultimately a lien, unless you have a direct contract with the owner of the property, a lien is only ever a security against holdback. Yes. And and a lot of people don't really, people coming to you, people coming to me, they don't realize this. They think, okay, I'm this sub or material supplier. I supplied 400 grand worth of whatever material you name it, aggregates, glass, windows, wood, whatever, doesn't matter. I supplied materials for 400 grand. That means I'm secured for 400 grand against this property. And that's just not right. So the maximum security you ever have in that lien is the 10% holdback on the prime contract. So let's walk through that. So let's say uh, you a have- A million dollar contract. Million dollar contract. A million dollar contract, you're building a building, whatever. House, you, you name it, doesn't matter. You Million dollar contract. So the maximum holdback on that million dollar contract would be $100,000 plus HSD, plus whatever else you have. Any, any change orders get tapped on top of that. Um, and so when you're a subcontractor, right, that means you're only ever protected up to that 100 grand. But it's not you're protected, it's everyone in your class. Every single subcontractor on that project is protected up to a hundred $100,000. That's where you're capping out. That's where you're capping out. And the logic behind that is that, you know, it, it payment flows down. And uh, in theory, if you're a material supplier, then there's holdback obligation from the owner. But then there's also holdback from the GC, from the sub in between you and the GC, right? So that, that's where that logic comes in. And as I'm sure you've heard, the, the perfect way of looking at any construction project is the pyramid, Right. Yes. So so that's really how it is, is that the the trickle down effect is that when you have this lien, everyone on the bottom level of the pyramid needs to get paid out first from from that holdback. And then if there's anything left, it goes so on and so forth. 
Yeah. Yeah. Then what if, and I've seen this, you get smart enough clients that own properties, but they don't own 100% of that property. So let's say for argument's sake, they own 1% of that property. Mm-hmm. Now you put a lien on that property, but you can only put 1% worth on that property. So so that's an interesting question. And, and it becomes even more problematic, not where there's 1%, but where there's leasehold liens, right? So let's say... Uh, the space we're in right now, right? Like I would be correct to assume that you don't own this space. Of right? course. But right. you have this beautiful studio and somebody had to build this studio for yes. you, right? So let's say never going to happen, but let's say you didn't pay them, right? Okay. So if they want to lien you, well, they're shit out of luck, right? Because their lien is only effective as against your leasehold interest. Yes. So I, I, I don't know what your lease terms are, but let's say you pay whatever per month, right? And, and a lease in and of itself could be sold, maybe not. A perfect example of this is what happened with Sears, right? If, you, if you've heard the, the Sears debacle. that So Sears, a lot of them went into receivership or other insolvency forms. Oh, and they're leasing the spaces and they're exactly, the retail. Exactly. And, and right before they went belly up, they, they started the Sears 2.0 initiative, right? Where they had all of these like upgrades to their, their stores. A lot of people ended up getting screwed because ultimately they leaned well, this lease either is, it's maybe worth something because it's in a mall and so it has commercial value and, you know, it's a 99-year lease set at a certain rate where now it's five times as much. So yeah, that has its own value because that could be resold as, as an asset in and of itself. But if it's no real value, you're screwed. You have zero security whatsoever at that point. And so to your, going back to your question about, like, what if he only, like, the individual only has 1% in the property, um, typical lawyer answer, it depends. Uh, there, there are mechanisms at play where let's say, uh, and, and you see this more so not with the 1%, 99% example, but let's say I, I'm a homeowner and I contract with you directly, but my property is actually registered in my name or in a corporation's name. I'm the only one who has an interest in it, but very clearly, like I'm not the one registered on title. Yes. And so the the act has been developed in a way where they, they know these shenanigans, right? They, they understand that this is a reality and they don't want people to get screwed. So what they do is that the definition of owner under section one sub one of the act is that anyone for whose benefit or at whose request uh, the project is actually protected the work is procured for. So that means, for example, let's say in your 99%, 1% example, let's say the 99% homeowner knows that they also want this work, right? It's not just for the benefit of the one, it's for the benefit of all of them. Got it. They can be deemed an owner. And Got then it. therefore the, that 10% continues. Interesting. Yeah. But that's where you come in and you're looking at, and, and there's a lot of, I guess, construction wise, the, the law has been changing quite a bit, right? Yeah. Well, yes and no. I mean, the the law has well, the been, lien has been extended, right? Originally, uh, not too long ago, it was only forty five days you had from the yeah. last day that you were there. That that got extended to sixty now, I think. Yeah. Yes and no. So so uh, you're right in the sense that it has there the time to preserve has been extended across the board from forty five to sixty, and then to perfect from forty five to ninety. So the process of actually starting the claim and whatever else you need to do. Uh, I advise all my clients to be cautious about that because once again, it the the change only took effect for projects that are procured after, after July 1st, 2018. Yeah. So similarly how we talked about procurement for yeah. uh, prompt payment and term adjudication. So the, and the issue with that is that you won't really know until it's too late. And, I, and you see this very often on development projects Right where uh, a developer will say, "Well, actually, yeah, the construction only started in 2021, but we spent, you know, we were we've been rezoning since 2016, 
We've done, we had excavation work that happened here and we had, you know, uh, drainage and other things put in back in 2016. So actually this project is under the old act, which means you only have 45 days. Sorry. And you've missed it. And you've missed it. So my advice to my clients always is where we're hitting it at day 42 comes, we're leaning. It doesn't matter that you might have 60 days. You probably do, but let's not, let's not uh, take any chances. And, And this is after you've already tried to communicate and see if there can be a resolution. And if you're getting the sense that there's not going to be a resolution here, then just move sometimes, forward. Sometimes, sometimes. I mean, listen, once again, that it depends on when, at what stage the clients come to me. Okay. So if let's say they come to me and it's day 41, I, I don't have time to talk to other side. Let's, let's preserve. It is, it's going to cost you a fraction of what you're going to lose otherwise. So let's at least preserve the lien. You know that it's in place. You now have either 45 days or 90 days or plus whatever uh, to, to perfect your lien if we can't resolve this. But at least now we have some security and also we have some pressure, right? If I write to someone on day 41 saying, hey, we're, uh, we're going to lean unless you pay us today. The response is do it. And you know what? That's that's one of the other things I've noticed just about culture as well. Like I've I've been in uh, in laws. We mentioned before this. I've been at first five years now. And in those five years, I've seen a minor transition from demand letters having power to it just being, you know, do it, right? Where I can send someone a demand letter saying, hey, I represent so-and-so, and and I understand that they did this work for you, they did all the work for you, you haven't paid them, therefore, if you don't pay us, we're going to sue you, and you're going to be responsible for all fees, costs, damages, blah, blah, blah. Before that, you know, it used to be scary. Like, oh, I got a letter from a lawyer. Oh my God, what am I going to do? Now, do it. I dare you. <laughs> and once you do it, then we can talk. Until then, you know, PFO. Like that comes with experience. Because I know a lot of these young guys that are getting into the industry, they're deathly afraid of it. Mm. They just, they, they literally start to, and, and I was the same way in the beginning. But then once you start getting more experience about it, you start realizing, okay, sure, you, you start learning aspects of it right and then there's a lot of threats being made and that's what listen i learned a real simple lesson when i was much younger from a friend of mine that was a boxer right it's like if there is going to be a fight they're not going to verbally express it Mm. they're gonna swing yeah then the fight starts yeah absolutely so it's like if you already know the person is not going to swing and they're just going to be barking then there's not going to be a fight yeah, and, and you know what, even to that point, like it, I think it depends on culture, right? Like yes. I, I, it depends on where you're doing construction. Obviously like Brampton has like its own set of cultures. Woodbridge has a very different type of culture. It's different, yeah. And so you have to also know that, right? Like how will, how will the individuals react when you make the threat, right? So for example, in, in, in Woodbridge and Brampton, uh, and uh, for most of York region, really, you, you have to take that, uh, that beautiful Russian proverb, which is you, you hit first and then you ask. Because otherwise, as you said, they're not going to take you seriously. They won't. And that's just generally. And I, I want to bring up a situation because I had a contractor and he knows who he is and he listens to the show. And he, he reached out to me and he's, he gave me the scenario and he was telling me about how, how he was owed 90K, mm. 90K and change or whatever. Completed the job. Job is beautiful. And the client decided to bring out the punch list of deficiencies, yeah. right? Like minor things yeah. over and over. But after he explained the story to me, I got the sense that the client ran out of money. Mm-hmm. and the client didn't want to pay this final bill because they have other payments that are of greater value, mortgage, line of credits, right. things that have some substantial value if they default on these payments versus not paying a contractor, right? Yeah. So he was questioning, should I lean? And mm-hmm. the thing is, I said, based on what you've told me, 
a lien is just going to piss them off even further mm. and then they will not pay you at all so i i spoke with him and i basically just said i go just be nice take the high road ask for it submit an invoice just keep on doing that mm. so he started doing that and then he decided that he was gonna just be nice take the high road and continuously ask for invoice and, and pay for it right discuss payment options do a payment plan get to that point right and ultimately he was still on the fence back and forth should i lean should i do all this other stuff back and forth the last conversation i had with him is that they were getting to a point of sitting down and discussing paying a, a substantial amount of that outstanding amount right? right i haven't heard what's the latest thing but the thing is that you know he's at that point where we talked earlier that he achieved it. He finished it. He's proud of it. The guys are all proud of it. They're mm -hmm. happy with it. They're enjoying it. But then he hasn't received all his money. Right. What are your thoughts on? Well, well so listen, for, first and foremost, I'm going to I'm going to throw in that uh, ye old lawyer uh, caveat. Uh, whatever I say is information and not. Oh, of not course. Yeah, totally. Well, you should have started by that whole thing, right? <laughs> no, uh, totally. Yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, but uh, but look, practically speaking, uh, what you need to realize is once you lose your lien rights, that's it. That's there is it. there is no bringing them back. And in fact, there's case law where, you know, some people, they lose their lien rights and they try to be sneaky and they like come back. They, you know, hammer and Sling nail. Sling a hammer. Yeah, they yeah. do whatever. And then they say, oh, we were on site, so on and so forth. The other thing people need to realize, and you kind of, you commented on this, it's not actually last day of site uh, or on site if you're the contractor. So if you have a direct contract with the owner. Okay. So there, there are two different timelines. Uh, a lot of people don't realize this, and then they think they're, they're out of rights, but actually they're not. So if you're a contractor, meaning you, it, you are the party that has a contract with the owner, yes. that, that is the definition of contractor under the, under the act. Uh, so if you're a contractor, your lien actually expires uh, one of, let's say, three major milestones. The first is the publication of a substantial performance certificate, right? That's, that, that's where you're... 45, 60, whatever you have a day start ticking for, for the main lien. And then the second, let's say if there is, it's a smaller project, there is no certificate. The way that your lien expires is if the project is completed, abandoned, or terminated. And when I say completed, the definition of completion under the act is that it costs the lesser of 1% of the contract price or $5,000 to finish everything including deficiencies. Oh, I didn't know that. Exactly. So let's say I'm a contractor. So your friend, it sounds like he's the contractor. And yes. the, yeah. So in his case, hypothetically speaking, uh, his lien would only expire after the contract is complete, which, which means if he went in and he, he went in, everything's everything. done. There's no deficiencies. Yeah. This concept of deficiencies too, that's, that's a important flag to put there because deficient work only applies to contractor liens. So, for example, if you're a if you're a subcontractor and you have deficiencies, that's not good enough. At that point, it's only when you supplied fresh new work that's your last day on oh, site. So, if you come back and you have deficiencies, your clock's not; it's already ticking. There is no reset at that point. It's only when you give new, fresh work under the scope. So, so going back to so your, it benefits GCs that have a direct contract with the client mm. to finish it reluctantly. You want to finish it, but you're finishing the job, and now you still have that period to kind of do the lean. Well, at that well, point. To, I, I would say the opposite, right? If you have at least one percent of the contract value Even not that, done, yeah, then exactly. you have a little more like negotiating room and and. and kind of all along those lines. The other thing too, once again, as I said, once a lien is done, it's done, right? Yes. That means you you can't renew it, and. Practically speaking, especially on a private project for like a newer thing, it all goes down to trust, right? Do you trust that this person is going to pay you? 
And if they don't, or if you if you trust, but like you want to verify, right? Or they're saying we'll we'll pay you within thirty days, right? We we don't have money now. We'll pay within thirty days. Yes. What I recommend for my clients there, and and this also just depends on the let's call it uh, moral flexibility of it, right? And how much they kind of want to pay to get uh, get their money secured, is that if you trust that they're going to pay you within those thirty days. Lean, but don't say anything. Because the, here, going, but you asked me how to how to lean, how to leans work, right? Yeah, a lien is is a registered instru- instrument against title, and unless someone is pointed to that instrument, chances are they won't know about it. So, for example, like I have. Oh, I thought they were made aware. No, well, they they you could be. There's no obligation for you to tell someone. The only time oh, you go okay. to someone and you say, "Yeah, there is a lien present." Uh, is if you want to stop payments on bigger projects, right? Because then when once under Section 24, on, once there's a written notice of lien made, that's exactly when you have to, uh, you know, you give it to them because you want to make sure that payment stops flowing, that there's not more money released. But in the case of your friend, right, where it's a smaller project, it's 90 grand, it's with the homeowner, like you, you would want to trust that they're going to pay you, but in my experience, it's a little optimistic, like I agree with you. I've I've had it, and I've unfortunately had those experiences where clients come to me and they say, "But he promised," or like they were friends, or they've done projects before. He promised he would pay me. I knew I would. I was going to get paid. What are you going to do when he didn't? Right, you're out of rights at this point. At that point, as opposed to you know the the path of let's lean. If he's going to pay you, amazing. You discharge it. None's the wiser. It doesn't affect him in any way, shape, or form. It doesn't matter that there was a lien on title at any point as long as that lien is gone because then title is no longer. And, and practically speaking, you're not doing anything wrong. You're owed that money, yes. right? You're owed that money. You just want to make sure you're secured you, because once you lose that right, it's going to be such a bigger headache to come and get that money. So protect yourself, right? And then if everything's great, amazing. We discharge the lien, none's the wiser. But, and unfortunately, I've had this happen where... My client comes to me. He says, hey, we have this problem, whatever else. What's going on? We, they're, they're promising they're going to pay us. We're not sure. Let's lean. Let's lean. We leaned. And they, like, they're friendly. You know, they, they, every time he comes over, they like, offer him tea, coffee, food, whatever you have it. They keep promising. They keep promising. Day 61 passes, and they're like, yeah, we're not going to pay you. What do you mean you're not going to pay me? Yeah, we, we think you overcharged this and this and this and that, so we're not going to pay you. It was like 50 grand on a... It was like a four hundred thousand dollar contract, so it was a, it was a pretty decent amount. Yeah. It's fifty grand. Yeah, we're not we're not going to pay you that amount. Well, guess what, buddy? We have a lien. Yeah. What? What do you mean you have a lien? And so now they got caught red-handed, and my clients got paid. So it's it's unfortunate that you have to kind of put in these, I wouldn't call them games, but maneuvers. Let's say like strategic maneuvers. It's a second parachute. It is. It it just is. And you know what? One thing that people don't realize in our business is that it is a business, right? You're not doing this because you- No, we're here to be profitable. We're here to make money. Yes. We're here to make money, and sometimes you have to do what you have to do to make sure you get the money, within the confines of the law, of course. Of course. Yeah. So do you have to renew or repurpose the lien every year? No. Or no? no. So what? here's how it works. So I preserve my lien. I have, once I preserve it, depending what timeline I'm in, I have a certain amount of time to then perfect it, which means I have to issue a statement of claim and sue you. Right, yes. because you can't just have a lien on title forever. That's slander's title. It's a big no-no. Once that lien is perfected, I have two years to set it down for trial, uh, which means a number of things depending what jurisdiction you're in. If you're in, let's say we're we're currently this is what this is Holton region, Oakville. 
Oakville, yeah. Yeah, so we're in Halton region. So Halton region, uh, we serve them with the statement of claim. They have a right to defend. If they defend, we then put something called the trial record down, which is just a booklet of all of the... A journal. A journal, yeah. yeah. A journal of all the pleadings to date. We, ish, we give that to the court, and that's deemed to be set down for trial. We then get a pretrial date. We go before a judge. We explain the situation. They give us a timetable. Bob's your uncle. And then you go down that path. And you go down that path, exactly. But but so to your point, you you can't renew a lien. You don't have to. You, you, yeah, you physically can't renew it. Once it's on, it's on. If it ever gets discharged, it's done. Yes. So uh, that's another thing, just a uh, word to the wise that people don't realize. Every now and then, going back to this concept of negotiation, uh, you have... Uh, you have people who say, well, you know, as part of our negotiation, we want to get rid of this lien entirely. Yes. And people don't realize that depending on your circumstances, unless you, you have, well, actually there really is no unless, uh, once that lien is gone, it's gone. So if let's say- You I, can't repurpose no, it again. Never. You have, well, you can't because you're way past the dates. No, even, even if, let's say, okay, I'll give you an example. Let's say I do a lien, right? That lien is $80,000. Okay. And uh I we we go into the negotiation. You promise to pay me. You give me some payment, and we, there's still a little bit of the work left. So I discharge the lien. Let's say I, my lien was for a hundred thousand. You paid me twenty thousand, and there's another twenty thousand left to do. Right. So I discharge my lien for a hundred thousand. I do a little bit of work. I do that extra twenty thousand dollars of work. Now I'm I'm still owed a hundred grand. You know, net right. Yes. Uh, and you stop paying me. I can only register a lien to the maximum of 20,000. I can never lien for that 80,000 again. And that's under section 48 of the act. Once it's gone, it's gone. So just hang on to it. Exactly. I, well, hang on to it or you can have it vacated, right? You can, you whoever has the lien registered against them uh, can put a lien bond, right? So you get a, like an insurance policy that says if push comes to shove, we'll pay this out. You could put cash into court, you name it. Very simple, very fast process. So, and, and, and that's on my end when I represent uh, contractors, whoever, claimants, right, lean people, that's what I tell them. If there's ever a question of we, we disagree, we don't want to, or we will pay you, but only once you finish everything, great. Put the money trust into, like, into my trust account on their end, and then once it's done, I'll disperse that. That way you're still secured, right, and every, everything's fair and dandy. Dan, I'd... Like we can go on for days talking. We about could, <laughs> but it's it's unfortunate that the, I mean, there's so much involved when it comes to construction, whether it's commercial, industrial, and residential. There's so much uh, variables and disagreements and all kinds of stuff. And I, I want you to speak to about new tradesperson coming into the industry. Yeah, how to prepare themselves. And prepare they they finally have worked their hours they yep. they've done you know they're passionate about it they work for other people they've absorbed as much knowledge from working for different people that have mentored them they're really well and now they've said to themselves and they've had the conversation with a significant other whatever yep. i i'm ready to go on my own mm. I'm, I'm totally ready I'm, I'm so now i gotta take full responsibility it's my business my brand yeah my office my skill my work all that stuff what's the best what are the best things they can do to prepare themselves? Well, well the very first thing you want to do is you want to talk to a lawyer, hint, hint, wink, wink. Yes. Um, and I a thousand percent <laughs> agree with you on that. But but there's a, there's a number of things, right? Like there, it's, it's the same with any profession, not just construction, but especially in construction, I think the very first thing you want to figure out is how are you going to do it? Is it going to be... Uh, you know, is it going to be Manny personally operating as Manny Construction or is it going to be Manny Construction Inc.? Yeah. Like, how are you going to be a corporation? Are you going to be an individual? And that obviously matters, right? Like, 
nine, 99.9% of the time, you absolutely should be a corporation yes. because that protects your assets. Not always, right? There's there's a breach of trust provisions in place that if you collected money and then you didn't pay that money uh, to your subs, they are able to go after you personally and your assets personally. Yeah. It's a it's a process, but it's possible. Uh, so they, yeah, first thing, figure out how that's, you that's want. What is that? It's contesting the, no, not contesting. It's, it's breach of trust. So okay. what that means is if... Uh, I'm a home. I'm uh, a floor person, right? I, I did the flooring. Uh, I have a contract with my contractor. Contractor has the contract with whatever owner. So owner paid all the money to the contractor, but they haven't paid me out. Let's say they use yeah. the money they received to fund another project. Peter or pay. Paul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever you have it exactly. Listen up, guys. If you love top line products and are interested in a dealer opportunity, you're going to want to hear this. I recently installed a box gobbler wall insert from MB Sentinel on the garage wall adjacent to my front porch to make a secure locker for my package deliveries. Let me tell you, the user experience is pure freedom. I can now make returns right from my home and I don't even have to be there. Even knowing what it was supposed to do from the get go, it still made me smile when I experienced my first delivery. If you want to see the scope of work the install requires, you can find the video on my socials. So check them out, mbsentinel.com, or call them directly for dealer details at 1-800-910-4251. And again, that's 1-800-910-4251. If if I, as the subcontractor, haven't gotten paid, I can now pursue the company being the contractor and the, any directors, Personal. officers, anyone really in charge of the money. And so what you see very often, like when you have these breach of trust claims is like, you're going to name everyone under the sun. You served me coffee. You're also in my lawsuit now. And, and, and I've heard of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, listen, a, a bit of it more is strategic than anything else, right? It's the idea of, you know, the more people you add, the more pressure you create. But, yes. uh, but so, yeah, so that's, um, that's that's one of the first things you want to consider going back to your point of like what should you do like yeah, when you're new starting kid out and they're intimidated. new kid yeah. yeah figure out what you're gonna do best case scenario do a corporation right and uh, just but be mindful that there could still be some liability you personally have so that's the first step the second step is what. Like, who are you going to be? What market are you going to be? Are you going to be someone who focuses more on, you know, quantity of work over quality? Are you going to be someone who has your own you know, people, your own labor force? Are you going to be subbing everything out? You know, are you are you going to be doing residential, commercial? Are you going to be doing finishing work, foundational work? Who who are you? And also, what uh, what part of the industry do you want to work with? Right? Do you want to work on governmental projects? Do you want to work on private projects? Do you want to work off of Kijiji? Do you want to be a, a part of all of these organizations? Right. So the first thing is decide what your market is. Right. What what exactly are you offering? One of the best things that I've seen from speaking to older contractors that have been in the big game a lot longer than I have was. I guess insulating them or separating them where they're working directly with the client as basically a building consultant and then the clients are paying all the sub trades directly. Yeah, and, and definitely. And I mean, like you, you could, uh, in our line of work, we call that construction management with no risk. Uh, not everyone agrees to that. In fact, I, I think uh, depending on where you are, you would want, like the homeowners or owners in general would want to have more of a turnkey approach, mm-hmm. right? Where I'm going to give you money. I'm going to tell you what I want you to do. And then you're going to deal with it. You're yeah. going to take the rest of that risk. Yeah. And on one hand, it's, you know, it's, it's ultimately also just goes back to like, on, on that point, the kind of contracts you want to have. Do you want it to be a fixed price? Do you want it to be time and material? Do you want it to be unit price? Right. Like how so these are all the questions that anybody getting started out, you need to, f- 
ask them yeah. and answer them. Well, and, and you know what? The other thing too, like we're, we're talking about starting out, but practically speaking, as you said, like these are people who've been in the industry already, right? First off, unless you have immediate answers for all of these, you shouldn't even be doing this. No. Right, like you yeah, and go get the answers. Yeah, get the answers, work, you know, partner up with someone, be a senior project manager somewhere or a controller or you have it, right, where you get this first-hand experience. And only then once you once you have an answer for all of these, then you're ready to start your own like your own company. Now you can start building it. Yeah. But then I guess that also kind of envelopes employees, subcontractors, location, yeah. all the overhead. Yeah, exactly. And 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 so from a legal side, you know, we, we talked about incorporation versus not. The other thing, as, as we started the show, uh, you need to make sure your contracts are fine. Yeah. And a lot of people don't realize this, but if, let's say, you're going to start out and you're going to start out uh, by going into residential, you're going to be contracting directly with homeowners, you absolutely need to familiarize, or familiarize yourself with the Consumer Protection Act. Yes. Because under the Consumer Protection Act, there's a specific form that your contract has to be. It's, it's laid out uh, clearly, you know, like here are the, I think there's 11 or 12 requirements that are necessary. And then there's an extra paragraph you have to have in there if you're signing it on the spot with them uh, or if you're signing it virtually. Uh, so, so you absolutely need a contract and it can't just be a one pager with a quote. You need to have things in there. Um, they need to familiarize themselves with this concept of holdback, right? Yeah. Because holdback by and large is something we all know in the in the commercial side of things but in residential some trade personnel may know about holdback but not say anything to the homeowners and there's been recent case law where that's been deemed to be bad faith where you know that this is the law you you know that you're supposed to be taking a 10% haircut off of every payment but you don't say anything to the homeowner yeah and so then the homeowner pays you in full they ultimately get screwed because you didn't pay your guys now someone's suing them and so the, the courts have held that that's deemed to be bad faith under the Consumer Protection Act. And Got there's it. like additional uh, consequences that, that you could face if, if that determination is well, made. Well, that's just you. part of running the business properly. It's the same thing with government taxes and yeah. everything allocated. So it's not like, and that goes back to Peter Paul contractors. Yeah, where exactly. They get deposits from one job and then start circulating to other jobs, right? Yeah. The, the other thing that you need to realize, you mentioned employees, right? So if you're going to sub everything out, Right. Let's say it's just you and then you have 10 laborers that you hire as, you know, quote unquote, independent contractors. So under the Employment Standards Act, if uh, if they're the let's say you, you have them as independent contractors, you're saying, no, no, they're not employees. If they're only working for you or they're working 90 percent of the time only for you, they are deemed an employee. They're an employee. At that they're point. an employee. Yeah. And well. So people don't know this because construction uh, is the one of the few industries where the act explicitly says if you're a construction personnel, you are an employee. You have, uh, you know, access to the various benefits to like WMIS, to um, to uh, the work uh, safety board, like WSIB. You have access to all of that, and so that's that's one of the things you need to realize yourself, right? Like, do I if I'm if I'm trying to be sneaky and I'm thinking that I'm going to cut costs by hiring them as an independent contractor. Maybe that's it's not actually going to be as much as I as I'm planning here. So definitely, like because be a lot of people wait, they balance, they they choose either. Yeah, or. yeah, yeah, exactly. And and the other part to that too is it's it's all about being prepared, right? It's being prepared so that when things you know shit hits the fan, you're you're ready, right? You know what your exposure is. You're not caught off guard. You know you you have whatever reserve fund to deal with those sorts of issues if you do and it's a good idea to have something like that and that brings me to my next point is that as you're building this business 
what does someone do when they start getting either they're caught off guard or they're kind of smelling that this might get to litigation? Yeah, well, well, definitely. Listen, first things first, uh, shit will happen. Yes. You just have to accept that. You, you will Not just construction, any industry, any industry. even my industry. Like yeah. shit will happen at some point, sometimes someone's not going to pay you and either you're going to have to fight it or eat it or a mix of both, right? Where you're going to take a little bit of a cut, but at least, you know, now you'll learn what to do for the next time. For, for me, especially when you're starting out, I, I've noticed this with at least like 10 to 20 of my clients. Um, you fall into the trap of big projects. Here's what I mean by that. And oh, I'm, I'm know, sure, I, I know. yeah, I, I, exactly. But yeah. for, let's say for those listeners who haven't experienced this yet or haven't realized this on this own, on their own end, you know, you may be working for Tridel, Ellis, Don, PCL, Bird, whatever now, and you may be doing a great job, but you're forgetting that those companies, A, have massive infrastructure and B, like they have contingencies to deal if things go wrong. It is so much better to have a hundred projects that pay you 10 grand than have one project that pays you a million. Hands down, without a doubt, because when you get those million dollar contracts, they come with million dollar problems. Yep. And that means that A, you're probably not going to be paid as fast as you would on those smaller projects. B, your deficiencies and potential liabilities are going to be so much bigger. And so your risk, your is risk, greater. your risk is greater. You're, you know, you may be getting more upfront, let's say as a depositor or whatever on this project, but realistically speaking, you, you still have to allocate the time. And especially we talked about delays earlier and on. If there's another trade that's delaying you and you can't start another project because you're technically committed to this one and you have to wait until the GC gives you the green light that it's your turn, guess what? You can't commit yourself to other projects because if you do and then they call on you, oh, well, boy, you, you just wait for those delay claims being made against you. It's ego. It's ego. You get the younger trades. They want to show off. Yeah. I, I started here. Yeah. And now I'm handling a million-dollar project two years into the game. Yeah. I personally think it's too soon. I think you need to be working with somebody that's handled those kinds of scale of jobs. Yeah. And then learn from the, the pitfalls that are associated with Well, that. and not just that. So I, ha I had, um, he wasn't a client. He was just someone I met through the industry at whatever, I think it was the TCL's uh, gala that they have every year. Uh, he was a drywaller. He's been doing this for over, I think just short of 50 years. TCL's gala? Yeah, to Toronto Construction Lawyers. Oh, TCL's TSCAL. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> I was like, okay. Yeah, well, right. uh, maybe you guys have a gala. Well, maybe we should be hanging out or something. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, yeah. But so, yes, yeah, so Toronto, or, uh, you know, it's not the TCA. 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 Oh, yeah, I was like, oh, hey, hang on. Okay. Toronto Construction Sorry, I interrupted you. Yeah. Okay, so the drywall, no, yeah. Yeah, so I met I met this guy. He's a drywaller. He's been doing it for just short of 50 years. And we're, we're talking. I'm trying to pitch myself. I'm like, oh, like, you know, who's your lawyer? He's like, I don't have a lawyer. What do you mean you don't have a lawyer? He's like, yeah, I've never needed a lawyer. 50 years, you've never needed a lawyer. What do you mean? How, to, how is it that what's you- your What's your secret? <laughs> and he's like, I don't take any job that's more than 30 grand. That's a good secret. I, he's, I, I say, how do you make money? He's like, numbers, volume. We have a shit ton of clients. We do a shit ton. If, if there's more work that's necessary, he has other buddies that he brings on and like all of them like separately do the thing and he helps coordinate it. For, for the purchaser who's looking for it, but he will never take a contract more than $30,000. Less risk. Yeah, less risk. He, he deals with it in volume. He, he's done very well for himself. You know, like I've, like I've had a chance to meet him personally, like subsequent to this, but that's, that's just it. He's never had, and he's, and I asked him, well, like, have you ever gotten like not paid? And he's like, yeah, like maybe I've lost like five grand here, like 10 grand there, but still never worth going to court over. 
Just walk away. Just walk lesson away. learned. Move yeah, on to the exactly. Next one. And and that's another thing too. One one way that you can obviously protect yourself is having a very structured and upfront heavy uh, payment plan, right? Deposits upfront, and not everyone will go for that. But then it's it's a matter of your own safety risk, right? I'm seeing a lot more tra- contractors doing that. They're yeah. doing a heavier payment plan upfront, yeah. not even leaving the la- the final payment when everything's completed. They're yeah. they're trying to get everything all done and safe, and everybody's happy. And then it's on the contractor now to complete it. So now you have to finish it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So so that's another thing. As I said, like don't don't be struck by ego. To quote you. That's huge. Pick a pick the right projects. Get started with those, and then you know see what works with you. Don't be don't be afraid of uh, of not going on to bigger ones. Bigger doesn't necessarily mean better, and it's not conducive of your own growth as a company, right? On the flip side, Dan, if you need to terminate a contract now, mm. like things are just not working out. Contractor has delivered everything up to date because it's funny. Like this year has been an interesting year where a lot of GCs have been reached out to take over jobs. And yeah. the first question that they ask is, are they all paid up? Has all the work been completed as per the contract? But, you know, the client wants to terminate the contract. They want to go with somebody else. How does one handle that? Well, I, just, <laughs> um, I, I usually go to my clients whenever they come to me and I say, do not touch this, get another job. And the reasoning for that is if they're, if the owner is terminating the contract, there's a reason for it, Yeah. right? Sometimes it's a legitimate reason, but sometimes it just might be like, you know, they're a difficult owner or they're, they're not happy about whatever. So if, if this person left and or was terminated, what's, what, how do you know you're not going to have the same thing? Same and, and it's the same with anything, right? It's not just construct, like even with law, right? Like with me personally, I, I try not to go to client or to clients who've had lawyers before unless like I, I can see that yeah there's been negligence on the lawyer side and like I you know I can finish because oftentimes if there is a termination outright termination there may have been some level of unreasonableness on both sides and do you really want to get in bed with that I've done it once Dan I took it over but I was so front heavy and so mm. upfront with the client mm. I'm saying I'm the only way I'm I'm diving in this right and there was some friction at some points but I covered myself after speaking with a, a lawyer. I just, I, I just covered myself to the nines where if, if it ever got to this point, I had an exit out of it, right? That, that I wouldn't be at fault or anything. There, there would be no, no liability on my part. And that was the number one reason why I took it on. Right? Well, well, the other thing too is that's like, that's really difficult to do. I, and, and even you can't warrant, you can't warrant, you can't any, anything. Any, and anything. at that point, like, how are you going to sell a project where you say, I'm not going to, I'm doing this for you, but I'm not warranting anything from this. Right. Especially if you're coming in halfway and you're picking up someone's work. Right. So that's why like going back to something we talked about way earlier in this podcast, that is very often an argument for trying to settle issues before they reach termination stage, because yeah, you're going to hire someone but it's going to cost you five times as much to finish because they're not going to, they're going to want to scrap this or yeah. scrap whatever element of it so they can continue the work. They're not going to just pick up where the last guy left off. Right. But also on the flip side, what I want to also get to about the termination was you're the contractor. You both are not seeing eye to eye with the homeowner. It's just gotten to a point. You speak to them saying, listen, let me get it to this finish. I'm going to finish it. I'm up to date. I've done my contract. Yeah. We're all in agreement, but I don't think I want to continue working with you. Right. And I'm apologizing for that, but I'm going to walk away from this. Are you fine with that? Now you want to terminate that relationship. Right. 
How do you handle that situation? Well, I mean, first and foremost, you you definitely need to spell out what that finish line is. Yes. What it like this, whether the, there's scope qualifiers or whatever else you have it. You want to make sure that there's an app, like a final line of this is how far I'm going to get. The, the next thing, absolutely, absolutely you need, and if you have a lawyer, great. If not, get a lawyer for this. You need a release. Yes. You need a signed release that says we're done. Yes. You acknowledge I don't owe you anything else. It's, it's a little tricky because the law is a little gray on unforeseen damages, right? So let's say you're, you're doing something and it only becomes an issue 10 years later. The law is a little iffy about whether or not that's enforceable, whether a release will prevent you from being responsible for like unforeseen damages. But as much as you can, you outline that to say, look, I, I was owed this much more money. I have waived that money. I'm not finishing this. Someone else is coming in. I cannot be responsible because now I don't, it's too remote. So 100%, you need a release that clearly spells out, this is where we stopped, this is how much I did, this is how much I didn't do, this yep. is how much I was paid, here's how much how I wasn't paid, therefore, we're done, we, we are amicably walking away from this, and definitely get a non-disparagement clause if you can. <laughs> and go from there. So yeah, I, just, from I there. just want to educate people and just let them all know, and it kind of brings me up to my next point, where it's, um, have you ever gone across, I, I guess, come across injuries and dealing with, I mean, this is construction, yeah. so... Things happen, but we have, you know, workplace safety yeah. in place. We have WCIB in place, and, and I'm still trying to get them on the show, and that's going to be a good, mm. that's a huge Goliath of a, of a deal. But um, how do we handle that? Because there's always a risk that you either have a, an employee or a subcontractor, the MOL shows up on site, right. or what have you, right? Right. Well, well look, Protection, I mean, I guess. F full disclosure, I don't really deal with personal injury. Like, the way okay. it works with, like, any lawyers is you, you do most stuff, and then if there's something that's a little outside of your wheelhouse, like, that's where you have colleagues that help you out. Like, for, I also don't really deal with labor disputes, like, if there's ever, like, union or labor issues on site. Got it. Uh, but the, the one piece of, I guess, information I can give to everyone is just, you know, make sure... Make sure you're in compliance with, you know, with OSHA. Make sure the green book is always on hand. Um, don't be stupid. Yeah. Don't be stupid. And if something does happen, paper it, right? Show, like, well, the first thing that anyone's going to ask you is, okay, well, well, what were your procedures on site that guaranteed or, or that were done as mitigation for anything happening, right? Do you, is there any slip and fall issues? Are there any, you know, loose railings? As long as you can paper your record to show that everything was done in a reasonable manner, you're already at a good starting point. And then you just let the gods of law decide. That go from there. Yeah. Exactly, right? So we're getting close to the end here. But I mean, there's still a bunch of stuff that we want to talk about. And I'm just curious about... I like the whole preparing thing, mm. but how often... I, I don't know if there's rules in Canada where someone could reach out to someone like yourself, like, um, I guess, a free consultation or anything like that or how does that yeah work? well i mean look it it it, it works uh it works it, there's no rules about it right there's no law that says i have to give anyone free anything okay. right that would yeah, be yeah. ludicrous um but uh, it works differently from lawyer to lawyer for me personally you know i i do offer free consultation i offer 12 minutes the reasoning for that is that you within 12 minutes i can tell you if you have a case or not i at that or rather if you should pay me money to review all of your documents and then tell you if there's anything more to it. But within those 12 minutes, you can give me uh, a breakdown of what had happened and I can tell you if it's worth pursuing or not. 
If it's worth pursuing, then we do our next stage, which I, I do charge like a paid consultation where you give me your documents, you give me the correspondence, you give me the full story if there's anything you didn't tell me within those 12 minutes. Because oftentimes, like I have colleagues who fall into this trap, right? They offer the, the free consultation thing. And about 40 minutes of that hour that they offer is just people ranting like, oh, this guy was an asshole. He did the, I don't care. I, you, you want a therapist, it's you hire get, a therapist. Get to the point. Yeah, right? literally, that's just it. I'm here to help you either get your money or prevent you from overpaying your money. Let's not complicate this any further, right? You're coming to me for a specific, I don't go to my pizza person to get my nails done, right? You're coming, you're coming to your lawyer to answer your legal questions. Keep it within the legal questions. Are there plenty of situations that you'll look at it and go that it's not worth going down this legal course? Well, so here's my thing, and I covered this as well. I offer the unique experience of not just being a lawyer, but also a business person, right? Like I, yeah. this is, my you law firm business. is my business, yeah, right? Yeah, run a business. And so I don't just give legal advice, I give the business advice to that legal advice. So I might have a person coming to me saying, hey, um, I I had this deficiency, they, you know, they didn't, uh, they didn't caulk the bathroom properly, just for example, right? Okay, so you're looking at a potential $1,000 defect here. What's going on? Well, they want me to pay them the remainder of the contract, which is $30,000, but they didn't finish the caulking, to which I say, don't be an idiot. Pay them the money, and then you could just sue them. Or like agree to some form of settlement now. Or, or even vice versa, right? Where I have, let's say, smaller like smaller contract clients, they come to me and they say, okay, we have a $10,000 issue here, or we have a $5,000 issue, can we lean? It's just not worth it. At that point, either I direct them to one of my paralegal colleagues who can deal with it in small claims or at least help navigate them through small claims, or I just explain to them that this, this is just not worth the money. It's not worth the money. It's not worth the hassle. It's not worth the time. So that's, that's why part of my 12 minutes is you spend about six of them telling me what happened. There's spark notes, high level, whatever else. Tell me, I always cut to the chase. I'm like, what's your actual issue? What do you want here? What, what are you trying to achieve? They tell me what they want to achieve. And then I, in the next six minutes, I, I spend telling them it's worth it. It's not worth it. This may be worth it, but I would need more to, to understand what your actual issue is. Let's do a full consultation. And to, to anybody that's listening, like especially the youngins, right? They're, um, get rid of the ego and get rid of the emotion. Absolutely. 1,000%. This is business. Like, sit, sit down. You've got a situation. Your objective is a resolution. Yes. Now, that being said, listen, I, I'm the first advocate for not uh, not negotiating or not uh, litigating on principle. However, especially where you're, a, you're already an established a brand and you're not just someone who's starting out, you there are times when it's worth to make a point. Yes. And, and, and that point is, you know, I don't let people walk around. I'm not going to let, you know, whatever situation come out of hand. So... Up to you, it's it's a hard line to define, but sometimes you do need to make up. So I'll give a very very quick example. I had a I had a, a case recently where one of my home like my clients they're a, they're a home renovator and uh, they had a fixed price contract with their customer, right? The whatever kitchen contract, whatever it was, and uh, and so what ended up happening is the the contract was for thirty seven thousand. Not like it was a nice kitchen. Don't get me wrong, like good finishes, reputable contractor. And so ultimately they, they went, um, they did the work, they finished everything, no deficiencies. And then the, the, the project manager was on site and the customer had asked the project manager, hey, like how much did this cost you guys? And the project manager was stupid enough to give that information out. Now there was like 17 grand outstanding on the project and the homeowner said, no, 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 what are you talking about? This costs you $2,000 and you're charging me 17? 
what? I'm not paying this. We had to litigate that on the principle that our contracts are fixed price. We took the risk, right, with material escalation, with labor, like totally. increases, whatever else. Totally. We had a deal. At the outset of it, we told you how much we're going to do and how much that's going to cost you. That That's all that matters. Yeah. And, and so for those sorts of instances where now you will have it, it'll be private, obviously, but no one will know unless those people start telling other people about it. But you need to make a, a point, especially if it gets published as a decision, that's even better, that this is the case, this is how we're going to proceed. So if you're coming against us, this is what we're going to do with it. And I agree with you on that, 100%. I want to ask you a question, and I don't, I don't know how, I guess, honest you're going to be about it, mm. because I've heard these stories litigation could take years and years and years right? absolutely and you can start seeing marriages fall apart yep you can start seeing assets just being liquidated to continue paying for lit litigation at some point do you consider the mental state of the tradesperson and what they're going through and everything that they're personally losing and just bow out or do you keep continue fighting trying to fight this well, well, listen, I, w without violating any rules of professional conduct, the way you can really boil down lawyers is we're hired mercenaries, right? We Basically. Will, we will do what you tell us to do. Yes. We're, we're going to tell you what you shouldn't do. Like the, we, we have also our like, moral and professional ethical obligations. But I will only push as far and as hard as you tell me to push. I have clients where they have the best case in the world, but as you said, they've been litigating for three years, they have ailing family members, or it's, it's getting to their personal relationships, they're tired. At that point, they come to me and they say, what, what should we do? And my answer is always the same. Only you can decide what you wanna do. Only you decide when it's enough. Mm -hmm. I have clients who are the opposite. I have clients where they have absolutely no case whatsoever, or they have a case, but like let's say they're defending, and they say, no, we, we wanna go through with this to the very end because it matters. It, it goes back to that idea of principle. So litigation, like I, I make it easier. I, I do it upfront. I tell my incoming clients prepare. that I prepare them. I, I um, manage their expectations as we call it in my, in my industry, right? Yeah. I tell them, this is what you're about to sign up for. Here are some of my other instances and stories and, and kind of guiding principles of clients who've come and passed and now you can learn from their mistakes. You make the decision if you want to move forward, you know? And that's only fair. It is. And some of them, they do it. You know, they, they go through it and then at some point they say, you know what, Dan, you were right. I, I was going to... I was going to make this uh, this claim and I've made it and now I realize that maybe I shouldn't have. Let's see if we can bow out of this. And often, especially in the tradespeople side of things, like just commercial projects, uh, you have litigation where you know, it goes on for three years and then uh, literally just happened to me uh, a few months ago. Uh, we had litigation, took about three and a half years. We were, we were past uh, the discovery stage. We were going towards trial. And the principal of my client accidentally ran into the principal of the person he was suing at a bar. And they just, they just had an out. They just talked about it. They sat down, they had a beer. My guy called him an asshole. He called him whatever he called him in their language. And then I get a, I get a call from my client the next morning saying, hey, we're done. We, we had a deal. They're going to pay me this much money. And that was it. Three and a half years, uh, 25, 30 grand worth of legals at that point. Yeah, we had a beer, right? So and so and, and and one thing I recommend to my clients is sometimes that's what you need, right? Time heals better than anything else. You're really passionate and driven and emotional in the moment, 
But then you realize that this was this was pointless. This was nothing. There's bigger concerns. There's more money to be made. So at times it's been going back to leaning and going back to the timelines. There's a reason there's that two-year window. Yeah. There's a reason there's, you know, you have 45 to 60 days to preserve and then 45 to 90 to perfect. You just need to chill sometime, right? Take a little bit off, look at the bigger picture, see if it's worth it. And then, you know, what might be, you know, driving and passionate now won't be important in two to three years. And some, sometimes that's what it is. My client was still happy with me. At the end of the day, everything we did didn't matter, but he was still happy because the pressure of it going helped them come to that conclusion for both of them that it wasn't worth it anymore. For both sides. Exactly. You're, both sides are going through the exact same thing. Uh -huh. Well, so, some more than others. I mean, look, there's, yeah. there are those instances where I'm in the right and and let's say you're completely in the wrong and you understand that you're in the wrong, right? So I see this more more often than not with material suppliers. So let's say I supply drywall or, or topsoil or whatever you have it to this project, right? I'm owed money. I did nothing wrong. My materials are workable. They're, they're marketable. They're good quality materials. And now you've installed them to the project. You owe me money. The response 90% of the time is, look, I just don't have the money right now. Like you can lean, you could do whatever you want. I, I'm going to have to fight you because I have other projects on the go. I have other assets that I'm not, I don't want to let you have. So I'm going to waste your time, right? No hard feelings. This is just a process. I'm probably going to be responsible for a bit of your costs if we go down the line. So by the time you push all the way to trial, we're going to settle. But I just, I don't have, I don't have money to pay you right there's, now. There's a lot of them recently that I've come across where it's like, it's been a three or four year battle and they finally got to the mediation stage before mm. trial. Yeah. And both sides just bowed out. Yeah. So they basically said, okay, we're going to walk away from both sides. But after this is after easily a hundred plus thousand dollars of legal on both yeah. sides. Right. And they just said, we're going to bow out. Right. It honestly just depends on, on how deep your pockets are, how personal the issue is to you and, and how let's say vindictive you are. Like I've, I've had a file with a person uh, where my client unfortunately passed away and they still continued on against the estate. And it's like, buddy, he has, he has nothing. Wow. He has nothing. What are you going after at this point? And they still, they just kept pushing at it. I just find from my experience, because I'll, I'll speak more for the trade side, they're more willing to bow out and step away from it and continue to move on and live a life, right? Yeah. Versus clients become more vindictive and keep on pushing at that tradesperson, right? Well, yeah, it depends on the tradesperson too, true. right? True, yeah. True. I'm not saying that they're all perfect, no. they're all great, whatever, but I just, I find that that's the case that I've been hearing over and over. And it's really funny, I didn't bring this up, but the thing is my very first, I think it was like second year of construction, and you talked about, is it even worth it? I had a friend, I didn't know anything about lawyers, I didn't know anything about this whole process. I had a client who wasn't going to pay the final bill. The final bill was $11,000. 11000 wow. $11, and change on a contract. It was like Which a, is still a lot when you're starting out. It's a lot. It's, it's basically, so I was like, I have to have a conversation with a lawyer now, right? So then I, he gave me a number, I called the lawyer up, I explained no different. It was probably less than 12 minutes. I explained the situation. No emotion, no ego, no nothing. And the first thing out of his mouth was, walk away. Mm. It's not worth it. Mm. You're going to spend more money in small claims than that 11000 to try to get that 11000 And there's no guarantee that you will get the 11000 Yeah. And, and that's the truth that I heard. Absolutely. And, and you know what? The, the one question I get every now and then from, from tradespeople, from owners, from everyone is, what would you do? And I hate that question. It's, it's not a fair question. It's not. No. Because, because I, you know, like in, me personally, I'm not a, I'm not a conflict 
oriented person. I will walk away just because I don't want to deal with it. It's yeah. not worth my time. It's not worth my health. But I tell my clients just that. It's you can't look at what other people are doing. You can listen to my wisdom and, and my experience and what I tell you. But then you have to make that decision. Don't get me wrong. I'd love to take your money. 100%. That's what I do. <laughs> Same but, with us. Yeah, I'll take your money yeah. for it. But but I'm as a, as a professional, I'm going to tell you that it's worth it. It's not worth it. You're going to make the decision. So. Simple as that. Yeah. Dan, I appreciate this. We got to do the, the 12 questions. I Absolutely. Let everybody know, Dan, it's Fridmar, right? Fridmar, that's Fridmar, right. Fridmar, yeah. Fridmar Professional Corporation. Uh, Fridmar.com. You can reach him at 416-697-0107. And his email direct is dan at fridmar.com. F-R-I-D-M-A-R.com. And you can get him on Facebook and also on LinkedIn. Uh, we got a new set of 12 questions here. And I just, give me one sec and I will pull it up because I didn't print it out. Well, I apologize. You ready for this? Let's I sent them it. to you, right? Uh, you might. Well, if these are the new ones, I don't know if you did or not. But I think I may have had. Either way, we're good. Let's do this. Rise. We're going to test you out on this one. Uh, here it is. Okay. First question. What everyday sound brings you joy and comfort, Dan? Everyday? Everyday sound. Ooh. So in my office, I have uh, I have this old wooden clock, and I don't know what where it was made, how it was made, but the chimes, I love the chimes. Every time it's it hits on every half hour, an hour, and it's just this majestic ringing sound that echoes through the entire office, and it's very soothing. What's your favorite beverage? Beverage, um, Esca. If you Esca water, it's uh, it's the sparkling water. Oh, okay, I know. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. The lemon flavored one. If they sell them in Costco and I just fuck I like <laughs> I have at least like four to five cases at a time. We know we know carbonated water is not good for us, but yeah, whatever. It's, it, it tastes good. There there's a saying in my language it's uh, it's unhealthy to live. So <laughs> what's your least favorite tool? I guess it's applicable to you guys. Yeah, as well. well, well, listen. So I'm I'm fortunate. My uh, my dad was a mechanic in the Soviet Union. So like growing up, I I did get a fair chance of doing my own construction. Dirty hands. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Of course. Uh, least favorite tool. Uh, you know what? I'd have to, what's it called in English? Um, it's the, uh, oh God. It's basically a metal sander. What do you know? It's, it's like a long stick. Uh, I don't know what it's called in English. It's, uh, it's called, you mean, sorry, it's got, it's like a little, a long belt yeah, tube yeah, sander. Yeah, exactly. It's I kind know of, what you're talking it's about. It's not a tube sander. It's like, it's like a metal, like it's Nazhovka. It's called Nazhovka in Russian, but like, um, Okay. Yeah. Anyways. I'm going to look it up. Sure. We've got Russian listeners. Oh, there right, we so. go. Actually, yes. Yeah, so Nashovkas, right. yeah. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, and emotionally or emotionally? Uh, honestly, I, I like not to, not to sound too much like a geek, but I genuinely love what I do. Like I, I enjoy here. Like I, I enjoy hearing construction issues. Um, every now and then, like I have a client coming to me and they're like telling me they're all like, they're they're stressed and they're tired and i'm like oh great tell me more <laughs> this is so exciting oh they did they did what oh i like these stories yeah <laughs> what uh what word or concept do you find overused or meaningless these days uh trust i hate whenever anyone says trust me i automatically don't trust them what's your favorite curse word uh in any language in any language sure. uh pizdiets. it's russian pizdiets? Pizdiets means well, like i mean 
directly it translates to cunt, but it's one of those things that's word like it, it, it's in every single situation. It could be used to express joy. It could be anger. I, I love the old world. Mm. They just have the right curse words. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite vehicle in the entire world? Uh, honestly, it'd have to be the G wagon. It's nice bulletproof and old or and not bulletproof. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it depends on the stage. <laughs> bulletproof just sounds better. It sounds more secure. From what I'm told, it's very difficult to get a hold of those. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of questions as to why you need why it. And you, then <laughs> exactly. Right. Uh, what do you miss about what do you miss from your childhood? Um, honestly, I, I was really into video games. I still am. Which one? Any, anything and everything. When I was a kid, I'd play things like RuneScape, MapleStory, a little bit of World of Warcraft, every, every Pokemon game, right? And and it's I still do. Don't get me wrong. I still play like playing Zelda now. Uh, what I miss more so is the ability to just play and not have to think like, oh, fuck, I should be working or I should be doing something <laughs> else or I'll like, like clean today. Maybe, yeah. maybe not. Maybe you should actually be taking a moment for yourself and yeah. just enjoying it, right? Yeah. Uh, which brings us to, in this digital age, what uh, term or phrase resonates with the core of who you are? In the Say that again? In this digital age, yeah. what term or phrase resonates with the core of who you are? Honestly, I, I would say balance. I really, like, I, I'm not really a Zodiac guy. I'm, I'm told I'm a Libra. I, I like the scales, and it kind of does resonate with me. There's just this general idea of balance, right? Not too much of one thing or the other. Not too much pleasure, not too much pain. Just balance, right? Living it out. I agree, man. If you could master a skill outside of your own expertise, what would it be? Ooh, you know what? I've always wanted to go into wood carving. It just, it's just very soothing. It is. And the, the idea that, not just wood carving, any sculpting really, the idea that you see like a block of anything and you look at it and you say, I know what this is going to be, right? I can make some, And then you make it and it's gorgeous and it's detailed. And yeah. like There's a kid on Instagram. Uh, yeah, he's a kid. He's got to be in his 20s in Italy. He does all the old school stone carving Ooh. by hand. Oh God. He'll show, like the whole video, you watch it and he's taking a block of stone and he'll shape these keystones. He'll sh shape these pieces. Has all the right chisels and just, I'm mesmerized by watching. Wow. It's amazing work. If you could have a candid conversation with a historical figure, fictional character, who would it be and what would you ask? Ooh. Anybody. Well, that's then you're going back to video games, eh? No. <laughs> no, that's a tough one. Who would I talk to and why? You know what? Actually, and this is for our construction people out there, one of my, one of my like, construction, uh, let's say, I don't want to call it celebrity crush, but someone I'm inspired by, a construction model, is uh, Gaudi, uh, the engineer from Barcelona. I know you. For, for one thing, the man is brilliant, but for me, this, I, was, I was in Barcelona a few years back. I did one of the tours. It's, uh, it's his building, La Pedrera, like the, the house of God, um, uh, Casa Mila, House of Mila. And that has such an interesting history, both in construction and in, in legal, that I was fascinated by. So this, this building, it was requisitioned uh, by this very prominent and rich family. They wanted just to have like a, a Gaudi piece, right? It was, it was the thing to have, to have a Gaudi building. And so they wanted him to build this building, and he, he made it amazing. He installed all of these, you know, ceilings shaped like rib cages, uh, uh, bee comb pattern flooring, you name various designs. Went way over budget, well, you know. And so ultimately, he wanted to get paid, and and the Milas are like, oh, "We're not paying you, buddy. We told you to. We told you X. You gave us XX, right? <laughs> so what does this guy do? What does this absolute legend do? Yeah. He sues them. He gets them to pay everything out. 
But then not only does he get him to pay everything out, he gets the city of Barcelona to designate it a landmark and makes it a declaration that nothing in the building can be changed, that it, for any renovation moving forward, it has to be exactly the same. Absolute G. Wow. It's impressive. Last question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at those pearly gates? You did good. I think that that's as much as we, just some form of acknowledgement, right? That's it. You, you did good. That's it. Have some rest. Damn, man. Absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much Thank for having me. Thank you so me. much, man. I mean, I'm sure we'll be talking more and then we'll, there'll be more conversations. Love to have you back whenever you get a chance yeah, to. Yeah, I know you're a busy person, but uh, I'm so glad that you know the Brother Bears and the the whole Kevin Bacon, Six Degrees, everything. It's just all connecting, so I love it. So thank you very much. I really appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. All right, Angelina, we're out of here.